Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. There's a lot of moving pieces today. Sometimes you feel like you don't want to go on, but I do believe that the uh, <clears throat> the Spirit has knit this service together for a reason, and I believe we should journey on together. Um, we have reached uh, our end, our end of a journey of a series, our end of a Ten Commandments. It's been a long journey. Who's exhausted? Uh, I am, so there, there's that, right? Um, every step along the way of the Ten Commandments, we have been challenged by a commandment. We have been challenged in a different way, hopefully. Hopefully something you hadn't seen before, a different way to look at one of the Ten Commandments. It is my prayer, it's my hope this morning that the Tenth Commandment does, does just the same for you. Because uh, it has challenged me this week, for sure. But today, as we wrap up the Ten Commandments, we do that with the final command out of Exodus. In uh, chapter 20, reads like this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The Tenth Commandment, if, if I might be so bold here, is to say that the Tenth Commandment is the crux of all ten. As we said along this entire series, that the first four commandments dealt with a relationship that, that was a vertical relationship. It dealt with the relationship between humanity and God. And at number five, we hit a shift. We hit this idea that the, the aspect of each commandment has changed to then be interpersonal relationships, beginning with the ones closest to you and kind of fanning out to the surrounding relationships. But we hit number 10. Now, I would be so bold to contend that there's a shift again in these commandments. It takes what is relational outside of us and it turns it internal. And what I mean there is the 10th commandment takes everything that we deal with, all the relationships, whether vertical or horizontal, and they turn them to the inside of us and what goes on on the inside. If you didn't know yet, uh, I am in seminary, and, and this past summer I have been studying Greek. Um, so for those of us who are bad at the English language, um, that would be me. A second language is even worse. Um, so to say I have been struggling this summer in Greek would be an understatement, um, but part of my growth goals in my second class this summer was to use Greek within a message. That makes it really hard when you're, you're doing a series in the Old Testament when the original language was in Hebrew, but it's not funny, okay? It's, it's actually really hard. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, what's great is that um, along the way, they translated the Old Testament Hebrew into a Greek translation known as the Septuagint. So you do get some Greek this morning. Um, so here we go, the best I can. The Septuagint for covet in Exodus 20 uses the word epistheumesis. Uh, epistheumesis. See, it's even hard to say. It comes from the root word epistheumeo, okay? And the definition here is to have a passion longing or desire for okay to take that to take that one step further uh, and and honestly this is going to stop here because this is about as far academically as i can speak to you about greek um, the writer of the greek translation uses the future active second person singular tense of the verb right <laughs> thank you thank you thank you um that is very fancy to say this, okay? The second person singular, you personally, you singularly, me singularly, not you all people, but you personally, will not, shall not, do not in the future, 
the future tense to the active tense of I will not in the future have a passion, longing, or desire for something. Okay, so you personally will not, shall not have a future desire, passion for, in this case, something that belongs to your neighbor. Okay, so what does that mean for us this morning? What does that mean for us today? And and as I wrestle with this text and I wrestle with this idea uh, of what does it all mean, I think we could use the Sunday school answers. Uh, We've all kind of been through them. I think we could literally take each piece of this text and say, you shall not this, and you shall not that, and you shall not this. I think we could literally do that piece by piece. But this morning, I want to take a different approach here. I want to look at this from a different perspective. Um, And I I promised I would do this, so I am going to be true to my word here. Uh, I'm going to let a video help us along. We're going to take it back to the 90s once again uh, for a little little joyful song. Uh, If you would just watch this. back. So the kingdom chum of joy, marvelous Moe's, he tells us, you know, jealousy, there's no room for jealousy, and to wake up, shake up, be glad for what you got, right? That's, that's the idea behind commandment number 10. One commentator explains covetousness as the inordinate desire for unpossessed good, meaning there's a good out there that I don't have, I see it somewhere, and I want that. I want that desire. I want that good that I do not have at the moment. Bottom line, it comes down to comparativism. Comparativism. It sounds big, and some would contend that this is not a word. Um, It is a word, I'm pretty sure. Um, But basically, it's the search for similarities and differences between and among human beings in all of the things that we are and all of the things that we do. Basically, it is how we search out things within ourselves that are similar to you and me or that are different. It's the ways in which we compare ourselves to one another. At some point and at some level in our lives, we have all done this. We grow up in a society. We grow up in a place where comparing yourself to one another is the norm. Baseball statistics, school rankings, 
Sibling rivalries. No, wait. Those don't exist? No? My brother and I are 13 months apart. 13 months apart. You want to talk about sibling rivalry? Try growing up in one room for 15 years where your brother is smarter than you, your brother has a better work ethic than you, and he's also the eldest child, okay? So when you're the middle child and your brother is smarter, there's a golden child, and then there's you, right? So that is sibling rivalry at its best. And I think that's the natural course of being brothers. It's the natural course of being siblings. It it goes back even further than just my brother and me. It goes back to a time in the Old Testament in the beginning. Let's look at Cain and Abel, right? The sons of Adam and Eve. Cain was a farmer. Abel took care of the sheep. And one day they both bring an offering to God. Cain brings part of his crop to God to offer it up. Abel brings the choice lamb, the best lamb. God puts his favor on Abel. Cain now is jealous. He now wants, he desires that blessing. And because he desired that blessing, he wanted it so badly, he became angry with Abel for having it. And it led to murder. You go a little bit further down in Genesis, you get to Jacob and Esau. Both sons of Isaac, but only one gets the blessing of Isaac. It was Esau because he's the eldest son. But Jacob wanted that blessing. He wanted that blessing so badly. He desired something that was not his. And so what happened? It led him to put fur on his body, go to Isaac, and have Isaac bless him. It led to a lie. It led to deception. Now, God used all of that for the future of us here today. But in the moment, Jacob used his desire. He wanted something that he didn't have, and it caused him to lie about it. That behavior travels through to the New Testament. We come across a text in in Luke uh, chapter 22 where there are two brothers who come to Jesus. And I don't know why in Scripture that it's always brothers, okay? I do believe sisters can have rivalries too, you know, but my my sister and I have a rivalry, but that's okay. We're going to stick with these two brothers. This is verse 13 in Luke's gospel. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, to him, Jesus, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he, Jesus, said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So what's happening in in this text here? Essentially, I want what my brother has, and I want someone else to give that to me. Give me my fair, my fair share of what's going on. It's that internal desire to want what we don't have, to compare ourselves to someone else and now want that. It happens to us all the time. Why don't I get the breaks that someone else gets? Why does someone else get the job above me? How come someone else can wear an outfit better than me? That's, that's my number one argument, is why, why I can't look as good as someone else. <laughs> At least somebody laughed. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, that's Evangeline laughing at me. Um, but at some point in our lives, one point or another, 
Have we not done this? Have we not compared ourselves to someone else and wanted that? Teddy Roosevelt once said that comparison is the thief of joy. When we compare ourselves to someone else, we rob ourselves of a joy that could be. Internally, we convince ourselves that we need whatever it is. We begin to feel inferior, or worse, we begin to feel entitled to it like Cain did. It's that internal desire that can lead to action. And the question I wrestled with this entire week was, does it have to be that way? Does it have to go down that path? Now, I think if we dive deeper into uh, this word in the Greek language, we may find something different. Now, like I said, the Greek root word here that was used was epistumeos, or epistumeo. Generally, that, that verb is coupled with an adjective. There's something in there that modifies that verb, that changes the direction of that verb. Mostly, we equate that with a negative context. And we've heard them along the way. Steer clear or put aside youthful desire. Turn from evil desire. Put aside hurtful desire. But the verb covet and the, ger- the verb desire could go either way. It's a, dese- it's a deep desire for something, at something. And it's all about how we use that verb. Paul uses the same verb in a different context within two of his letters. One in Philippians and one in 1 Thessalonians. Within the letter to the Philippians, Paul writes, I am torn between the two. I desire, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Paul's epistemeo, his desire, his deep longing and passion was to die from this world and go be with Christ. He knew that was the better choice but also knew that he had to stay here and be on earth for just a little while longer. Likewise, in a letter to the Thessalonians, Paul writes, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Paul had an intense epistumeo, an intense passion to be rejoined together with the church and the, the church of the Thessalonians. Desire and passion, they don't have to be bad things. They don't have to go into that context. We can make a different choice. And I would even say, in fact, that passion, desire, and longing can be good things. We can have good passion towards things. One thing, if, if we ever get into a conversation about a particular topic, you can see the passion that I have. It comes out. It's just, I can't help it. I get passionate and fired up about things. That can be good. It also can be bad. You can get too fired up. It, it does happen. But I think we can look at it and, and to work against the negative side of this equation, and those are the things that the commandment here is warning us about and the rest of the nine before it, But we can intentionally work against comparativism. We can intentionally work against comparing ourselves to one another. I think there's a way to combat that, that covetousness of the spirit. One commentator writes that possibly the best way to avoid capitulating 
to a spirit of covetousness is to follow Paul's counsel in, in Philippians 4, 11, and 12. One way to avoid giving in to comparativism, to give in to comparing ourselves to one another, is to follow what Paul is saying in this passage here. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. The best way to combat comparativism, contentment. Contentment. It's easy, right? We, we find contentment just as easy as we do anything else. No, contentment is difficult. The, this commentator goes on to say that the contented spirit is the direct opposite of a covetous spirit. But it is the best way to combat it. But contentment is not easy. Finding joy in the things of today is not an easy task. It takes work. It takes practice to find the joy in the job that we have today, in the house we have, in the neighborhood we live in, in, in the interpersonal relationships that we find most exhausting, to find contentment in the things that we have today. It also comes from inside of us, contentment does. But it comes from us in a positive direction. It takes the desire, the passion, the longing to a positive direction, not a negative direction. But we have to practice that. We have to work at it. Because I think we as people naturally incline to the negative. We naturally compare ourselves. If I were to put myself up on a leaderboard today against anyone in this room, where would I measure up? Where would I fall short? I think that's the hardest thing for me is, is I, I overanalyze conversation. I overanalyze interactions with somebody. Um, if you've talked to me for more than five minutes, you know that I'm really bad at talking to other people and finding compassion or uh, common ground sometimes. And then I leave that situation and, and I overanalyze it. I overthink it. I, over, I overanalyze my own actions and what I could have done differently. We spend a lot of time naturally comparing ourselves. And what I'm saying here is that in this idea of contentment, we have to work at finding what is good and moving in that direction. And as I worked through all of this this week, I came up with three ideas that might help. I'm not saying that these are the only three. Trust me, if you Google this, there's thousands of experts out there who will tell you one thing or another. But for me and what I found within this week, I think these might help. Number one is to actually live, live in the moment. Not in the what ifs of tomorrow, what could be tomorrow. It's not about what I did yesterday or the day before or what happened to me in the past. But really diving into what's going on right here, right now. Maybe that means taking a walk in the middle of the day. Get out of the office, get out of your house, get away from people. Just go walk and breathe in the fresh air that God has provided to us every, every day. Just breathe it in for a minute. Maybe that actually means shutting off your electronics. I know it's taboo. Maybe, just maybe, we could live in a moment by just picking up a book. I know that's worse, right? Picking up a book, but I'm telling you, it does work. I promise you, picking up a good book every now and then and turning off the things that distract us can help. Or maybe, 
It's scheduling that time with a friend that you just can't seem to find the time. You can't squeeze them in, but you know that they're going to be beneficial to you. Live in the moment of today. The second is practice gratefulness. I think if we were to look at our lives as a total, we've been given a great deal. The fact that we can sit in this room today, the fact that we woke up this morning, I think we can say that we are a grateful people. We should be a grateful people. Now, I'm not saying that tomorrow you're going to wake up and be beyond blessed of everything in the world. Start something small. Be grateful with something small. Find the little joys in life that, that can get you working your way up to seeing the bigger picture of being grateful. And last, and this is the one that, that I struggle with the most, is to appreciate the little things. God is still working in the little conversations. He's working in the tension between you and person B. He's working in the situation where you feel lost and confused. He's working in the situation where you're tired and confused. He's still working. And so we need to find that that little ray of sunshine, that little piece of joy to appreciate. I don't want to sound too cliche, but it's to find a silver lining. No matter what the situation might be, you might be at the top of your game, you might be at the bottom, but there's somewhere, somehow, you can appreciate something that is so small. There might be actually a light at the end of the tunnel. Desire, passion, longing. These can all be good things. They can go either way. I think the 10th commandment challenges us to look inside. There's a shift in these commandments to see what's going on inside of my heart, inside of my soul, that directs the actions of my life in the other nine. Do we desire the things that belong to someone else? Do we spend a lot of our time looking at the scoreboard, comparing what we are and what we aren't? Do we get frustrated that we just don't measure up to this person next to me? I think comparativism can steal the joy out of our lives. The good news is we have a different choice. We can channel that internal desire for something good. We can let God speak through our lives that the Holy Spirit manifest inside of us and change the direction of our desire, of our passion, of our longing. I think if we were to take some time today, I would just say, let the Holy Spirit move your heart, your mind, and your soul this morning. Let it work inside of you. And as, as, our, as our kingdom chum said, we need to wake up, shake up, be glad for what you got. Be glad and the things that we have. Find the contentment of this life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. The ability to look at your Ten Commandments, to wrap up an entire series diving into who we can be in our interpersonal relationships, in our vertical relationship with you, in our insides, in our internal ideas and desires and passions, that we can channel them for good for you and for your glory. 
that we can put aside comparativism, that we can put aside this idea that I need to be as good as someone else or I need to be better than someone else and live in the moment that I am made by you and that you would give us one glorious ambition, that you would give us one pure and holy passion for our lives. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this morning and ask you to be with us for the rest of this service. It's in your name. Amen.